Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on Satiate today. I'm Sue Van Rees, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, author, and founder of Boulder Nutrition here in Boulder, Colorado. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. Food has so much power. Power to nourish, to strengthen, and to connect us to one another. That said, it's a true rarity to find a woman today who is at peace with her plate, with how she eats, how she looks, and how she feels in her body. Satiate is here to engage in meaningful conversation about what it really means to have food and body freedom, to show up in life as who you really are, to trust yourself tracking the intelligent design of your body, and to prosper with embodied self-care in doing so. Satiate offers you functional nutrition and food psychology insights, some of my favorite special guests and experts from all over the world, and some personal insights and anecdotes that can act as salve for your soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful if you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That way, you'll be sure to be alerted when new episodes are published and help me spread the word so that other women in need can find their way to this important conversation. Thank you so much for being here today, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of Satiate. I want to take a moment to introduce to you today's special guest, Nancy Levin. Nancy is a master coach, podcast host, and best-selling author of several books, including her latest Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. Formerly the event director at Hay House for over a decade, Nancy is the founder of Levin Life Coach Academy, offering in-depth coaching, training, and certification programs designed to support students and their clients to make themselves a priority by honoring their self-worth, dissolving outdated obstacles, and setting boundaries that stick so they can vividly live in center stage of their own life. Let's get started. It's such a treat to have you on Satiate today, Nancy. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me. I am delighted to be with you. Thank you. It's been a while since I've seen you in person. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. Yes. Well, I look forward to this conversation. As I mentioned offline, I have really been enjoying your book and the work you're doing is so deep and so robust. And I just feel so excited to be able to share this conversation with people. Why don't we start with just a little bit about you? And, you know, I know you have a lot of history in the world of self-help and healing and, you know, now like, you know, all these books under your belt and so much great work you're doing in the world. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So I was the event director at Hay House Publishing for 12 years 
And I was really, you know, I always say I had a backstage pass and a front row seat with all the speakers and the teachers in the field of self-empowerment and wellness and motivation and all the things. And yet their teachings weren't really able to land in me until I went through my own crisis. And my crisis, the catalyst to my crisis was blowing up my marriage. And all the gory details are in my books, but suffice it to say, (laughs) suffice it to say, you know, I was someone who had always been projecting this image of perfection to the world and managing the perception of others. So giving people a very specific lens to see me through. My motto was never let them see me sweat. And so I was really upholding this image that I I didn't really want to look at the truth of what was going on with me. And I certainly didn't want anyone else to. And so what ended up happening was this sort of parallel occurrence of on one level, me really becoming willing to tell the truth to myself and to really get clean and clear about decisions that I needed to make in my own life, to stop blaming and being a victim, to really take responsibility and step into my own empowerment. That also coincided with, in a way, coming clean. And what I really discovered was the people I feared revealing myself to the most were the ones who rallied around me the fiercest. And through that process, what I really came to understand is, you know, in one you know, in, in one breath, I do think we all believe that there's something we have to hide in order to be loved and accepted. There's some part of ourselves we have to hide in order to be loved and accepted. And yet in the next breath, we're also saying, I just want to be loved for the truth of who I am. And we can't be loved for the truth of who we are unless we're willing to reveal that truth. And so the more I kept myself armored and the more I kept myself sort of in that, on that pedestal of perfection or kept myself, you know, distanced from others because I didn't want them to really know me. It, that became a hindrance to any kind of intimacy. So I wasn't letting my real self out and I wasn't really letting anyone else in. And so even though I had my dream job at Hay House, I thought I would live and die in that job. I, one weekend as my marriage was dissolving, I was to produce an event with my dear friend and mentor, Debbie Ford. And she had said to me, listen, let your staff produce the event, sit your ass in the chair, do the work. And it was the best medicine for me because I had up until that point really not wanted to look deeply into all of my own inner workings. I was just sort of you know, treading water, just trying to, you know, stay afloat and doing it from such a place of let me get as much external validation, accolades and approval as possible, because that will feed me. And so I did Debbie's weekend workshop and I was so hooked that I decided to do her year long coach training and certification, having no designs on being a coach. I just wanted to know myself. Yeah more deeply. And then on the other end of that year, I was unrecognizable. 
And it really became clear to me that, you know, I want to help other people get free. And so I went through a process of ultimately um, doing my side hustle along with my job, you know, building my coaching practice, and then ultimately left my job at Hay House in the summer of 2014 to go out on my own. And at that point, I had already self-published my first two books. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hay House uh, picked up my second book after self-publishing it. And then here we are. My sixth book is coming out this fall. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even know about your sixth yes. book. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm like loving this most recent book. Yes. Setting Boundaries Will Set Free. What is your, your next book about? Uh, the next book, yeah, the next book is called The Art of Change, and it is, it is essentially a guided journal. It's very robust. It's almost a workbook, but we didn't want to call it a workbook because that has a different connotation. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. And it's been a really interesting process writing this book because all, from all my other books, I created a coaching program after I'd written the book. Mm-hmm. And so I have, you know, four previous coaching programs that align with a book each. This journal is the first time I did it in reverse. So I created a coaching pro- program um, on reinvention coaching. And it's the first coaching model that my coaches that I now train and certify. Debbie has since passed. Her training program has folded. Uh, I sort of stepped into a a void I saw and a need and carry her torch, carry Louise Hayes torch, carry Wayne Dyer's torch, carry all the torches who carried me. (laughs) And so reinvention coaching is the first coaching model that I trained my students in. And it became clear that I wanted to then create a book to be a companion to the coaching model. So it was really fun and different to write this book Mm -hmm. and it's coming out in September. That's amazing. Well, we'll have to definitely have you back on or, you know, share, I'll share (laughs) that as, as it gets closer. That's so exciting. Well, I know today we're going to talk a little bit about boundaries and a lot of the insights and teachings that come from your book. Just want to make sure that I get the name completely right. Setting boundaries will set you free. The ultimate guide to telling the truth, creating connection and finding freedom. I love it. So let's, let's dig into that. Are you ready? I'm ready. I (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know first for the listeners, like when we're talking about boundaries, how, how do you define boundaries in general? I define boundaries as the limits that we set around what we will or will not do, accept, or tolerate. So first, I will say boundaries are very personal. So my boundaries are between me and me first and foremost. And it's essentially the assessment of what is okay and not okay for me and how I am going to take care of myself. Yeah. Okay. So in a sense, there's a lot of real inward focus around maybe 
something that doesn't feel good on any level from the outside yeah. or maybe even from the inside, like even a thought right. we have about Both ourselves. Ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes. That makes really good sense. Thank you. Yeah. So when you, when I started reading your book, there was a couple of really interesting pieces that really I could relate to and you can decide how much you want to go into this, but the story you told actually about Wayne Dyer and the briefcase seems to be like a pretty significant story for you. It really struck a chord with me around like how you were able to kind of take that experience and use it as a catalyst for transformation. Are you up for sharing a quick version of that story with us? It's Absolutely. so, so like, it was such a metaphor, such a great metaphor too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for anyone listening, if you identify as a people pleaser, a peacekeeper, a conflict avoider, a not rock the boater, you know, if you identify as someone who attaches your worth and value to what you do and achieve and produce, especially around what you do for others, then this is for you. <laughs> so I was producing back-to-back -back events with Wayne Dyer, one in Atlanta and one in Detroit the next day. And we were an entourage of about 10 of us traveling together, Wayne and a couple of his kids and me and my staff. And the events were, you know, a couple thousand people each. We did the event uh, in the afternoon in Atlanta on a Saturday, we went straight from the venue to the airport and Wayne only carried a briefcase when he was going to and from the hotel to the venue. He didn't actually carry an, a briefcase on the plane. However, because we were going right from the venue to the airport, he had a briefcase with him. And we, long story short to this point is we land in Detroit, we get to the hotel, we all have dinner, we all go to our respective rooms. And about 10 o'clock that night, Wayne calls me in a panic saying, I have, I can't find my briefcase. I'm freaking out. I have no idea where it is. He was in no way blaming me. He was just frantic. And he, you know, to the point of all my notes are in there for the talk tomorrow. I can't go on stage without my notes, uh, notes for my next book, money, you know, all these things are in his briefcase that he absolutely desperately needs. So I hang up with Wayne and I immediately call my travel agent who was in California. So the time difference was on our side. And I said, Hey, what can we possibly do about this? I, I don't even know where the briefcase is yet, but once I find it, what can we actually do? And she said, let me start working on that. You work on finding the briefcase. So I called the car company, the van who had taken us from the venue to the airport. And they said that van won't actually be back until midnight. So now I have two hours to wait. And they, they, I called back at midnight, the van insurer was there and no briefcase to be found. And I yeah. said to the guy, listen, it's dark out. It's a black briefcase. I, I just am begging you to go out with a flashlight and, and I know it's in, I know it's in there. I know it's in the van. 
And sure enough, he came back and it had slid, you know, Wayne had been sitting in the front seat and it had slid all the way to the back under a seat. And so now we at least know where the briefcase is and it's like 1230 at night. My travel agent gets back to me. There's no way to get the briefcase itself on an airplane, uh, you know, FedEx, UPS, right. any kind of cargo, any kind of airplanes, anything that might have worked pre 9-11 no longer worked. And in fact, had it been any other night but a Saturday or Sunday, it might have been possible, but given that it was the weekend, impossible. So I call the car company back and I say, hey, I would like to pay for a ticket for, one, for someone to get on a plane and bring this to me. And they said, again, since 9-11, it is actually illegal to travel with luggage that is not your own. So it's now like mm -hmm. two in the morning, three in the morning, you know, time's going. And I find myself at 4 a.m. in the back of a taxi booking a flight on my laptop to fly to Atlanta <laughs> to uh, retrieve the briefcase and bring it back. So the event is to start at 2, 2 p.m. in Detroit. I was the one with all the contacts at the venue. I'm in charge, you know, I have a team, but they all take my lead. So I'm also frantically emailing my whole team saying, here's the deal. I'm not going to be there for setup. Here's what to do. Here's the route. Here's the layout. Here's the plan. Here's my contact. Here's all the things you guys need to do. I'll be in touch. So I land in Atlanta. I get, and it, you know, Atlanta is a huge airport as is Detroit. So right. I land in Atlanta. I get to baggage claim where the guy is waiting with the briefcase for me. I grab it, say, thank you. And I turn around to get back on the next plane going through security, you know, after getting off of an airplane so quickly is a red flag. So I, you know, draw attention to myself. They want to pat me down. They want to do the whole thing. I tell them the whole story. It's all good. I get on the plane. And once I'm on the plane flying back to Detroit, before we took off and I have the briefcase in my hand, I called Wayne and I said, hey, just want to let you know, I have the briefcase. And he said, where are you? And I said, that <laughs> is not important. And he said, did you do something crazy? And I said, I will see you at the venue. Go to your Bikram yoga class, because that was something he always did wherever <laughs> we were on the road. And I usually went with him, but I, so I had found him the yoga class to go to. I said, go to your yoga class. I'll see you at the venue. So I pulled up in a taxi at the venue, right as Wayne was getting out of the car. And there were hundreds of people sort of crowding around him, hoping to get a glimpse or a hug from Wayne. And, you know, as the night progressed. What I didn't say is that Wayne called me a few times, texted me a few times, frantic, you know, right. really like I've got, I need this. I've got to get it. I had called him back once I knew where it was. So we had been in, in contact and there was this real sense of, you know, panic and relief, but still how, how am I ever going to get this before tomorrow? So I'm walking toward him and I'm holding out the briefcase. And he takes one look at me and he says, oh, that old thing? I don't need that. And 
as I, as I like to say in that moment, I gave the father of motivation, the bird. (laughs) So I flipped him off there in front of all these people. And I didn't know this part of the story. (laughs) Yep. And he pulled me in close, gave me a hug. We had a laugh. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I always emceed all of our events. So I was giving my introduction for, of Wayne, as I always did. And, you know, was going off stage. And as I was walking, he pulled me back and he said to the whole audience, you know, I want to let you know what this woman did for me. And what was really interesting in retrospect, you know, in the moment it was like, oh my God, I, you know, I got every accolade. I got, I got all the applause. I got 1 million gold stars, you know, all the validation I needed. And in retrospect, it's not that I wouldn't do something like that again for someone, but it's that I would never do it again for the reasons I did it. And this is what often happens for so many of us. You know, we overgive, we overachieve, we are essentially buying love. And we are allowing something or someone outside of us to give us that stamp of validation or that stamp of worth or that stamp of value. And all of that is an inside job, truly. Wow. I love how you made that distinction that it wasn't that you wouldn't do it again. It was that you, why you did it. Yeah. And that's so important to recognize the difference between those two things and the personal boundary that I assume grow, grew out of that, which is yes. amazing. Yes. yes. Because, you know, I thought that my boundarylessness made me exceptional. And I was really known as like the queen of the impossible in my job, you know, and I prided myself on being that, on being the superwoman. And once I began to recognize that that was not indeed the case. And once I even heard, you know, it was an interesting moment. I I really remember this, the woman who ended up taking my position once I left, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is like now like a Hay House, you know, tale, right? you know, it is, you know, and she's like, I still can't believe you did that. I would never have done that, you know, and I would be able to, to take that on from a righteous place of like, of course you wouldn't, only I would do that you know, and now, you know, and then I really shifted into the like, wow, like no one should ever do that. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So amazing. And so interesting how these moments in our lives are just so informative when we like have a, when we actually pay attention. I want to take a short pause from this conversation to tell you a little bit about my upcoming Satiate Your Soul Bali Women's Wellness and Yoga Retreat. For the last two years, Bali has been closed due to the pandemic and has just recently reopened to international travel. On June 11th to 18th, 
I'll be taking a small and intimate group of women to Bali to enjoy this incredible retreat and adventure, which is a beautiful merge into the culture and beauty of Bali through yoga, ritual, cycling, exploration, and magic. This is limited space for seven to nine women where we will have the opportunity to slow down, unwind, and experience our health and nourishment in a whole new way. Your retreat will be one supported by the daily practices that create health, nourishment, balance, and satiation in every area of your life. I am committed to providing a week where we tend to ourselves from the inside out, where we tap into our own organic rhythms, connect with like-minded adventurers and retreaters on a similar quest, and step into an experiential and cultural immersion in the sacred land of Bali. We'll be practicing goddess yin and flow yoga daily, inspired by the Hindu goddess myths that are so prevalent in the Balinese culture. We'll engage in radiant health practices, including organic homemade healing foods, cooking classes in the Balinese tradition, and inspirational workshops. We'll offer optional soulful cycling experiences, which are gentle and explorative ways to see some of Bali's most culturally significant sites, rice fields, waterfalls, temples, and villages. These rides are also supported by our support team and support van if you'd prefer to ride home in a cushier style. There'll be opportunity for restorative rest, relaxation, renewal, reflection, and self-discovery, as well as a deep immersion into the culture through ritual, dance, food, and goddess study. Join me this June 2022 in experiencing this very special and intimate Balinese retreat, illuminating the devotional and cultural aspects of Bali through the lens of the feminine. For more information and to register, you can go over to bouldernutrition.com slash Bali and you'll find all the information and details there. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I would be honored to host you on this magical retreat that is long overdue. Now, back to today's conversation with Nancy Levin. It, it really leads me into this next question, which is, you know, healing boundaries, going through this internal work that you went through to get to that realization and then to create your own healthy boundaries in your life and then to literally write a book on it. What changed for you? What changed for me was really understanding that I had choice around the experience of my own life. So I say that from a place of most of us want to blame others Mm -hmm. for what we experience. And I came to an understanding that I'm actually, I'm the one responsible and I have to take responsibility. And so that's why in 
my boundary work, I am very clear about not only are boundaries very personal, but my boundaries are between me and me, even if they involve another person. And so if my boundaries are being crossed, I am the one crossing them. And this is really, I mean, this is a little bit revolutionary (laughs) because most people relate to boundaries as some version of, you know, you can't do this or don't do this to me, you know, something about other people. Right. And I am really clear that boundaries are not about anyone else doing anything different. Boundaries are about the way that I honor and uphold and respect my own boundaries and how I take care of myself. So it's no one's job at all to honor my boundary, but me. And so that puts the responsibility and empowerment back on myself. And, you know, I can't tell you how many countless clients will come and say, I set a boundary, but they crossed it, you know, and it's no, that's not actually what happened. And there's setting a boundary and there's maintaining a boundary. And there is a really clear way in which we need to continue showing up as our own advocate. Absolutely. Which really, when we were look, we were discussing some of the different things to include in this conversation. And I, I really love that your book and I'm sure your work is a reflection of this. Um, has sort of an outline of some different steps to follow to dive deeper into this process. There was a couple that I mentioned um, to you that I wanted to go into further and you're kind of doing that right now with this first step. Um, Will you tell us a little bit more about that first step? Sure, so, you know, it's essential first that we know what our limits are. So we have to first get clear on what is important to me or what's essential to me. You know, what am I going to do or not do? You know, what am I going to, you know, what have I been accepting and tolerating that are actually unacceptable and intolerable, you know, and to start there with understanding what's going on and what are the ways that I am blaming others or allowing myself to stay the victim instead of taking responsibility. So, you know, this, this whole piece about if our boundaries are being crossed, we're the ones who are crossing them. Right. Has to first begin with even really getting clear on, do I have any boundaries? What are my boundaries? You know, what does this even mean? And why would I cross my own boundaries? You know, even that question comes up often of, okay, so if I, if, if I'm crossing my own boundaries, why am I doing that? And there are so many ways why, in which we cross our own boundaries and so many reasons why. And again, it goes back to this, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want someone to be mad at me. I don't want someone to be disappointed. Uh, you know, the ways, that we, the ways that we cross our own boundaries in order to stay in a relationship. You know, that's something to really start thinking about for anyone listening what relationships am I in that require me to cross my own boundaries in order to stay? Mm. And how have I been acquiescing up until now? So 
the other thing I'll just sort of add in here is when our boundaries involve another person, it's still not vital to verbalize them. And in fact, I really advise not to verbalize your boundaries to another person unless you are 1 million percent committed to uphold your boundary. Because otherwise we're the little kid who cries wolf and we teach people how to treat us. And if I'm not willing to show up for myself, why the hell would you be? And I think that's really what it comes down to this whole conversation about self-worth, self-love, you know, value, worth, if I'm not willing to take a stand for myself, and yet I am holding an expectation that you will, we have to look at how that is misaligned. Exactly. That's really pretty, a pretty brilliant approach. Because why really would we expect somebody to do something we're not willing to do for ourselves? Right. But I've never thought about it quite that way. And so it's, I feel like there's a muscle we have to strengthen here too, internally, because, you know, when we're starting to do this work, first of all, when we're starting to do anything new in our, in our internal work, I mean, it can get a little sloppy. It can get a little clumsy. It can be a little, like, we don't know the languaging. We don't know how to express ourselves. We don't know. We're just kind of fumbling our way, trying to figure it out. And yet um, within that, you know, how can we basically strengthen that muscle? It's like, it, it's going to take a little bit of time to get comfortable with that, yes. which is one of the other steps that you bring into this conversation, which is, I think it was step number five, but that setting boundaries can be uncomfortable. Yes. And, and like, how do we prepare for that? You know, how can we, can we dig into that one a little bit as well? Sure. I mean, it's obviously tied together. First of all, I will say that I talk a lot about cozying up to conflict. So that is about getting comfortable with the discomfort and recognizing that over time, we have been the one willing to take the hit. Right. I'm, I'm willing to feel bad or uncomfortable or burdened or resentful so that you don't feel any of those things. So it is the way that we tend to put other people and their needs before ours. Mm-hmm. So the discomfort is going to go in dif- in some a few different directions. One is going to be discomfort in disagreeing right. or discomfort in there being conflict. Okay. And I like to talk about conflict as really essentially an illumination of our differences. So most of us are fearing conflict because we're fearing an incoming argument or fight. And that can feel really threatening when we think in extremes. So if we are in conflict, you're gonna leave me. If we're in conflict, you're gonna fire me. If we're in conflict, you know, you're not gonna love me anymore. Some version of that. Right. In my experience and in the experience of everyone I've coached, what we awfulize and catastrophize in our head is not anything (laughs) related to what happens. So it's not that drastic. It's not that extreme. So what I really think is going on when we're fearing conflict is we're fearing the conflict that's 
much deeper than a fight on the surface. We're fearing that this relationship itself doesn't hold water. Mm. But I don't want to look at that because if I see it, I can't unknow it. And mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything about that. So I'll just stay up here and try to keep the peace. Yeah. And many people believe that the goal of relating, any kind of relating, intimate partnership, your mother, your boss, your employees, whatever, your kids, that the goal of relating is harmony at all cost. But harmony at all cost comes at a very high cost to us. Right. So it's also about recognizing when am I in that loop in my head of what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay? Because whenever that's happening, we are anywhere but the present moment. We are anything but true. So the discomfort, you know, getting comfortable with discomfort is also recognizing, wow, it's actually even uncomfortable to be with what's true for me. And that's the muscle we have to build. Yeah. So, you know, I like to sort of begin the baseline of setting boundaries with, am I willing to give myself permission to consider my own needs at least as much as I'm considering the needs of others mm. baseline, at least as much. Right. Right. And that alone can like, you know, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. If mm -hmm. you're, you know, if you're so, <laughs> if you're so other referenced. Right. Well, and yeah, then, that just happened to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I get it. Um, you know, and then I go to the place of, are you willing to give yourself permission to consider your needs even more than you consider the needs of others? And then the real boundary ninja move is, are you willing to give yourself permission to consider your needs first before you consider the needs of others? Now, nowhere in here did I say, don't consider the needs of others. You know, this isn't about disrespecting or disengaging from others, but this really is about taking yourself into consideration first instead of last or not at all. And this, that. Yeah. I mean, and, seriously. and this is a huge reorientation, especially for those of us. And listen, I lived decades of my life you know, with the antenna outward, what do they think? What do they need? What do they feel? What do they want? And this is an invitation to bring that attention inward. What do I think? What do I need? What do I want? What do I feel? And start there. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That's powerful. Um, yeah. So powerful. And it's like, a, it's a very easy reference point for me to like process, you know, it's like, okay, let's just start with this, like considering my needs, considering my needs first, considering the P as important, just simply as important as someone else's. Yep. Big. That's big. That's it's huge. huge. It's and so you know, this can, this can begin on, you know, a fairly granular level. You know, I'm going to use an example that I use all the time because it's something all of us can relate to. You know, mm -hmm. if I say, Hey Sue, let's get together and go for dinner. Where do you want to go? The most natural response we hear is, I don't care, where do you wanna go? Right. So even something like that, to really stop and think, huh, what do I want for dinner? 
instead of automatically deferring or acquiescing. Because the more we keep our needs to ourselves, especially those of us who have prided ourselves on having no needs, which, you know, again, decades of that for me, the more we, the more we keep our needs inside, the resentment will build. And resentment is a telltale sign a boundary needs to be put into place. Yeah. And I will say one I would say even like one of the top three reasons most people don't set boundaries is they don't know what to say. Right. So I bring this back to a, not every boundary needs to be verbalized and B in the book, I give scripts about Mm -hmm. how to share a boundary. And from this aspect It is about staying with myself, not pointing a finger at you. So being able to name, here's how I feel. And here's how I'm going to take care of myself Mm -hmm. without having any expectation of you doing anything different than what you do. And that's a really important point that if we decide we're going to share our boundary with someone else, we have to be ready to uphold it. Mm-hmm. And we want to keep the onus on us, you know, and, and that can sound as simple as, you know, Hey mom, I noticed that you are calling me several times a day. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. I'm not going to be able to answer while I'm working and I will get back to you after 6 PM. Right. I didn't tell her what to do or not to do. Right. I just told her what I noticed and I told her what I'll do, you know, instead of mom, stop calling me so much. Right. You know, Yeah, and also very graceful, very loving, very kind. And that's the other thing. Right. Most people tend to relate to boundaries as I'm being a bitch Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the boundaries are restrictive or constrictive or depriving. And I really look at boundaries as being expansive. I look at boundaries as the way that we are carefully choosing and consciously curating the contents of our own lives. And if I decide to share a boundary with you, I'm giving you a page of my operating manual. I'm giving you a piece of my puzzle. And I look at it that way. That's amazing. I love it. And really segueing into this next piece, which is, and I know the answer, but I want to bring it to the conversation because it's so relevant right now. And what we're doing as far as health and healing within our own self-love, how would you say boundaries relate to self-love? My goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in, I mean, really in every way. And, you know, I believe that if we are willing to identify, set, and honor our own boundaries, that is the way that we are embodying true self-love by knowing my limits, by not saying yes, when I want to say no, you know, by not getting caught up and wanting to be superwoman or, you know, any of that stuff, but to really check in with like, what's okay for me? What do I want? What do I need? All of that. And what I've really come to learn is sort of the opposite of my briefcase story is, you know, I believe that so many of us don't 
take the time we need for ourselves because no one is there to give us applause. No one's going to say, good for you. You took a hot bath tonight with a candle or good for you. You took a half an hour to read tonight. You know, no one, you meditated, woohoo. Like no one is there giving us that validation and approval. So if we're so wired to seek that, we're not going to do anything for ourselves that doesn't garner that. Therefore, we need to learn how to give ourselves our own approval. We need to learn how to give ourselves our own validation. That's actually all we need. That is great. And it's so relevant. I just literally had dinner with my family last night. We have kids in town from spring break for college and you know various things. Yeah. And we were celebrating um, our dinner and we were high-fiving about you know who grilled the chicken and who made the potatoes and everyone had pitched in. And then I found myself saying, you know, the Caesar salad is so good. I made it. So it's kind of a funny moment. And I'm like, I'm giving myself a high five. And totally. so at the dinner table, I gave myself a high five, which looks a little different than a clap. I pointed that out to the kids. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, we need to start giving ourselves more high fives. And it was just kind of a funny moment, but it really actually, I was sort of sitting with it even this morning. Like that was an important moment for me to just even yeah. be able to say that. Yeah. And huge. Yeah. And it, it, we all kind of joked and we all gave each other a few high fives and we all gave ourselves a few high fives and we moved on. But I was just like, what a metaphor for the ways that we don't do that normally, you know, right. we acknowledge everyone else and we don't acknowledge ourselves. That's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the self celebration is really important. And I think, you know, there's two things I want to bring up here because they tie in really beautifully and I'm often asked about them. So I imagine someone out there is sort of having the thought. Yeah. The first thing I'll, I'll say is often a reaction to everything I've just shared is some version of, but isn't all that selfish. Right. And I will be the first to say I am on my soapbox about selfish to really embrace selfishness. And I really look at selfish self-love and self-care as three sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. And that we pride ourselves mistakenly on being selfless and in selfless, we disappear. Yeah. And it's also not about the either or, it's about the both and. So I am selfish and selfless, just like I am every other quality there is in the world that I recognize. So I think that that's important to name that we need to, and I will say, especially as women, even though I don't love to, you know, to polarize like that, but we need to stop you know, putting selfless on a pedestal. It's really martyrdom ultimately. Yeah. The other thing that I want to bring in here is I often will hear from clients and students and people that putting myself first, I, you know, I feel guilty putting myself first. Mm -hmm. And I like to offer the reframe around guilt that if you feel guilty in this particular context, it is a signal. It's an indicator that you are taking good care of yourself. And the guilt is there because it's unfamiliar. Yeah. It's just unfamiliar because we've been taught 
culturally, socially, something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great reminder because guilt is an, an emotion that most people really struggle with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really one of the more uncomfortable emotions for me. Yeah. And yet I also know that I can kind of use it as a barometer for, okay, this is my edge, right? There's something going on here. This is my edge. And so let's see if I can hold it and sit with it and embrace yeah. it, even though, you know, I don't love it. Right. Um, right. But it's an interesting thing to sort of switch the stigma around it a little bit. Same with the stigma around selfishness. Yes. Like we've created a word. It's just a word, but we put all right. this meaning in it. That's right. like negative, but I think it's, it's trying to make a comeback in certain, you know, genres, but it's definitely still got that stigma in the mainstream society that we are all like the last thing we want to be is selfish, especially right. if we're a pleaser, right? Exactly. Like, it's like the yep. worst thing ever with to be a yep. pleaser and call selfish. Exactly. So it's a really interesting just way to just look at a word and just be like, let's just take it at face value instead of add all this meaning to it. Yes. That's so negative. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. A couple more things I want to just make sure we hit, but this one is interesting. Like boundaries, you know, some of us struggle more, some of us have more maybe boundary um, what we would maybe call like cultural or familial conditioning than others. But would you say that healthy boundaries in general take work? Or would you say that some people just have them? Because that's the thing that I'm always curious about. Like, how do some people have better boundaries than others? I will say in my experience, I've yet to meet someone who was just born with healthy boundaries. <laughs> Because we're not taught how to have them. We're, it's not reinforced for us in a healthy way. And the truth is, as kids, we are not supported in our boundaries in any way. Because ultimately, the adult, you know, the adult is in charge. Mm -hmm. What I've seen is fascinating. The more and more parents that I have coached and see them putting boundaries into practice with their kids and actually inviting their kids into conversations about boundaries and inviting their kids to learn how to set healthy boundaries, I have hope. <laughs> I have yeah. hope for the future, but I, I think it's more natural that we grow up and really don't know what it is. And we don't even, uh, I mean, I've seen this in myself and I've seen this in many others. We are boundaryless. Then we sort of, the pendulum swings mm -hmm. to being really boundaryed and then sort of finding a, you know, and finding a middle ground. The other thing I'll add here is that boundaries are not set in stone. Not, or I will say not every boundary needs to be set in stone. Boundaries can be malleable as we grow and change. Yeah, that's an important point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And maybe even within how we're feeling on mm -hmm. a particular day, Yep. you know, like how our energy is, if we slept well, if we're right. overextended, or if we feel like we have a full cup, we might have more to give on some days than others, but it's a really good reminder that we don't have to make everything so static and so hardlined and you know that doesn't always feel 
in a sense, the essence of the feminine has that fluidity. And so with, I always say this with eating and with nutrition, like we need different things at different times of the year, at different times of the day, at different times of the month, you know, how, and it sounds similar. And I think the important piece there is remembering that, you know, first of all, we can know a boundary needs to be set and not be ready to set it. <laughs> okay. Good one. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be consequences to setting and holding a boundary and consequences to not setting a hold and holding a boundary. And we have to at times choose the essential piece here is being conscious. Like I know a boundary needs to be set here and I'm consciously choosing not to. And I'm willing to be with the consequences of that because I'm not willing to be with the consequences right now of setting it. And that's okay too. Yeah. You know, just to have that awareness around choice. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really, I just find this is such a rich topic for people and for me. And I just, I'm so thankful to have you know, the opportunity to share this conversation with you because you're obviously have so much here and thank you for that. Um, I have one final question for you and I ask all of my guests and that is what does it mean to be satiated? To me, it, to me, it means that I am so full on the inside that I'm able to give from a place of overflowing generosity. Mm, thank you. Well, it's always good to see you and you I too. love hosting you on Satiate today. Thank and you. I can't wait to publish this episode for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nancy. It is such an honor to spend time with you here on Satiate. And may this conversation be of benefit. From my heart to yours, I wish you health and happiness for the coming season. And may we meet again here very soon. Take good care.